long day. It's been a long weekend. I'm I'm a little, I'm a little sleepy baby today. Oh yeah. It's a little. It's cold. It's wet. I just want to like be snuggling up. Oh man, know. this fucking weather can slop off my hog, dude. <laughs> I really am not enjoying. Please it. never say that to me ever again. <laughs> ever again. I fucking hate this rain. I Hurricane did, Ian, GTFO, dude, get out of here. I was supposed to go to game yesterday. I said no. Uh oh, the winter. Lol. Supposed to go today. I said, "Oh no, oh no, boy, thank you. it's so Uh-oh. cold. You're slipping. You're sliding. It's okay. I have tomorrow and Wednesday off, so I'm going to go hoard." Okay. Yeah, that's not bad. But yeah, I can't stand this weather. That's I can't so stand gross. it. We had this beautiful weather in Europe, and then we come back here, and it's nice for like two days. Two days, and then Florida. Cold Florida. Do. Cold Florida. I know the fact that it's also cold, and it's going to rain for five days. It's going to rain for oh, two God. more days. No, unbelievable. I can't do this anymore. I can't stand taking the subway. That's Ugh. grinding my gears. Well, I can't I stand this about. rain. It's terrible. Against your window? Are you super duper fly? Hmm. I think I only kind of half understand that reference. I mean, if we get you a shiny puffy coat, you do look like Missy Elliott. That's really rude. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, uh, man. Yeah, especially when you're, you know, it's almost beanie weather for you. So yeah, you put one of those on, get you some fly sunglasses. That's true. I was just, a- I was just asked about beanies and whether or not I wear them. And uh, to be honest, I forgot if I do or not. But I think I do. You, the man who for five straight years, middle of summer, beanie on. Yeah, I mean, I did that growing up all the time. In my teenage years, I was a beanie. You did that in your twenties, year round, for most of your mid twenties as well. Um, is that true? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well. I don't Mm -hmm. remember that. The other realization I had today is that I have a very, very bad long-term memory. Okay. But I have a very capable short-term memory. Oh. I'm a wizard at work. I remember inventory numbers that I've encountered in the last 48 hours. I remember like every single one. Mm -hmm. I can tell you exactly what happened in terms of, you know, facts and figures for Uh the last two days. Yeah. But I can't tell you a single fact about my life going back farther than two weeks ago. Mm, yeah, that sounds right. I mean, I. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the tism has been tickling, man. Yeah, no shit. We're tickling the tism oh. all the time. Um, As you glance over the, at new tank, at tank, mm-hmm. and then I come home after a long hard day, and then you go, "Where are the tracks of my old tank? The tank is broken. Tank is falling apart. Tank can't find. Tank want to repair." And I'm like, "I need you." To calm down. We have a man I down, dude. Just walked in the door. I don't know what happened to your sixteen pieces of plastic. Well, I, I just been. I was dying all day to ask if you knew because it came as a shock to me that the tank was broken. I mean, I think I did it, or rather, it did it to itself. I think it fell apart at some point. I I then like thought about it a little bit more. I was like, I think it did fall once, like like just fell off, and I was like, oh, whatever. You might have tossed him. Oh, see, I knew it. Listen, you weren't... A, I could hear the this, hesitation this in was, your voice. No, I had to think about it because I was like, I don't know. I don't know. If I, what are you talking about? And then I was like, oh, I think it did fall off one day. And I was like, whatever. Oh, man. Was it when I lived in Ohio? You abandoned it. So I, I did what I want with it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's too bad that it fell. It's a thing that happens. It's I, now a new story. It's like, oh, they're no. stuck. They're stuck in a pit. I wish you had saved the parts because it is fixable. I am not on your spectrum. You know, and are you sure it fell that long ago? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think it did. I think it fell more recently, didn't it? No. Do you want to know why I know that? Why? Forensic evidence, my friend. You can't lie your way out of this one. <laughs> what, I kn- I know it fell more forensic- recently because I noticed the missing tracks, and then I looked on the carpet, and I did find some. If okay. it indeed happened years ago, oh, then the tracks would no longer be there. Huh. I know that that area of the carpet has been vacuumed. But I don't go back here. I know, and I'm not saying anybody did anything on purpose. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> Fuck off. First <laughs> of all, do we think unplugging the thing I knocked it over? I, no, I don't. I don't know. I think it's. I, I think I at know. some point somebody knocked it with a pot, pot of plant or something along those lines. I don't move the plants though. I, I know. I move the plants sometimes. I mean, no. I, I waterboard my plant right next to it. it could have been me. I'm not oh. really sure. Hmm. I'm just surprised that I never noticed it before. Hmm. And I'd been looking at it a lot recently because I've been working on the new tank. So the damage to the old tank came as quite a surprise. But anyway, the tracks are brittle. They're made of rubber. I didn't spring for the additional uh, kit where you get metal parts and plastic tracks, which I should have done at the time because Mm. they don't make the kit anymore. And now it's expensive to get the replacement parts. Mm. But anyway, I'll figure out how to fix it. I mean, 
you know, or it'll just be broken and sad. But it was my first tank. It was my first love, and now it's okay. well, now it's ruined forever. <sighs> Thanks to you. <laughs> I don't need this. I don't need this in my life. Don't uh, worry. I got replacement tanks coming up. You're looking at you're looking at one in. It looks exactly the same. Early process. It's, same no, it's not thing. the same at all. In fact, the same hull thing. is rectangular and not ovoid like the other one. I see a lot of rectangles on both. The turret's also a little bit lower. It has a longer wheelbase. So do I, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know. Got to keep it light. This one has plastic tracks. I um, allegedly stole some wire from my place of employment to add okay. some extra accoutrements, like an antenna and a wire running from the electric light. I almost ripped that out, by the way, because it was <laughs> it was near like what, the droopy plant, and I was like, oh, what fell down here? Like, is I thought it was like an animal that had like dripped down or something. Oh, jeez. I almost grabbed it. I was like, oh no, that's a wire. Never mind. Man, I'm going to have to make like a gun safe for my Put it in the models. box. I yeah. can't put it in the box. The box is now full of tools. Get another box. The box is full of tools and epoxy. So it sits on top of the nice box until it's finished. <sighs> and then it'll take its place of prominence amongst the jungle that is the bookshelf. I mean, one of these is going to, you know, meet its maker real soon behind me to my left. Because uh, I think it's a, not what's a perennial annual? What's the one that dies? I would assume that a annual is the one that dies, right? I don't know. Perennial implies I mean, permanence. Yeah, you know, annual is like a oopsies, an annual onesies. goes away in the winter and comes back in the spring. Flowers that would, that are would be annuals. A, that would be a perennial. Oh, that's a perennial. Right. Okay, well, I don't know. Oh. Well, it's dead now, um, so it's got to go. It is the saddest thing I've ever goddamn seen. Two sad little like yeah, leaves, and leaves. I keep finding dead leaves from it. I I know I on I the floor and stuff. I prune them. I like yeah. I'm allowed. Yeah, no, they fall of their own accord. Again, I'm not blaming you. You're jumping to conclusions here. <sighs> okay. Don't make me go Sherlock Holmes mode, and I'll find out. Okay. I'll find out what you did to the place <laughs> in the tank. Nothing is safe. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you know it's been a tough week for the gays. Why? Because uh, bros, bros tanked so hard. Tanked at the box office thanks no to the shit. straights that didn't want to go see it. No, it's thanks to the gays who were like, "Who the fuck is Billy Eichner? We don't <laughs> give a shit. Not hot." Moving on. He freaked out about it. I mean, I don't know. We discussed it off mic at one point, or maybe it was on mic. I don't know. But what? the trailer for Bros made me pretty homophobic. I'll tell you that. It's dumb. Yeah, it's a dumb story. Like, yeah. who's got the stuff? Like, you want to be like, it's the first one. It's like Fire Island came out already. Everyone was funnier. You know, if you have funnier and hotter and younger coming out like four months before your like big studio gay movie, yeah, you can't win. Well, you know what I didn't understand about that either. It was all over the place, especially today because he threw his hissy fit on Twitter about you know not making enough money. But uh, he did. Yeah. Is it now deleted? No, it's really? it stayed up there, and all of the of course the lamestream media is on his side, and they're like, it has wonderful critic reviews. Why did all the <sighs> Americans that are so homophobic not go see it? There's a reason it's romantic comedies are on streaming now, you know? Yeah. Because no one gives a shit about this. So. That's a plain movie. But I couldn't believe that the entire time they were trying to suggest that it was the first major Hollywood picture that w- like portrayed a gay couple. I thought that well, it, that the marketing was like it's the first romantic comedy, which I guess is maybe true. The Birdcage. Sure. Okay, there you go. But then I was the like, folly. there's I mean, so I many LGBTQIA movies out there. You know, you calling blue is the warmest color a blue comedy? Blue is the warmest color. That's a comedy. Call me by though? your name. But this is what I'm saying. They didn't bill it as the as historic because it was the first comedy. That oh. I could you could maybe plausibly make an argument for. Although that's a stretch. That's too. That's also a stretch. Yeah. But they billed it as the first movie ever. Movie, not just romantic comedy. So anyway, I thought that was a tough loss for you guys. Oh no! Condolences. I'm uh, sorry. No one cares. No, all, all gays <laughs> are like, who the? F- You're not famous enough to carry a movie, my guy. I think that's the most major thing. Like, like Billy on the street, yeah. you want to hear a man shout at you about how he's right about gay shit? Listen to this podcast. Or like an annoying stereotype from Parks and Rec. I mean, you know. Yeah. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not enough to carry. So, no. Um, I mean, the worst thing is Lena Dunham going, I want my casket to be carried at a pride parade. Do you think that'll happen? No. The gays like, like Duncombs, don't they? No. They don't like her? I thought they did. I thought gays liked girls. Everybody kind of likes girls. The the television the show? The television show. I'm I was aware like, that gays don't oh. like girls. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, see how that doesn't work. <laughs> um, 
No, I don't think no. Apparently, there has been a renaissance of people rewatching Girls and being like, you know, it wasn't that bad. I'm like, listen, you just have nostalgia. Fuck off. You don't think it's Gen Z people discovering it that didn't watch it when it came out? I have a feeling it could it's like be young. It's like cusp millennial Gen yeah. Z people going like, I really didn't watch HBO because that was during the time when you had to know somebody. The same people that discovered The Sopranos a year ago, right, and memed it to death, I think, are now discovering Girls. Ugh. Yeah young millennials and like gen z people that never really watched it that are kind of like going through that time in their lives you know being 26 i only saw a couple episodes of that show i remember thinking it was okay i remember her getting plowed out by adam driver in a tube in a sewer tube in a sewer tube i believe that i believe that happens in episode one of gals in lena duncombe's gals (laughs) (laughs) Lena Lena Duncombe's broads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I do think. Uh, speaking of, I do think you were either a broad city person or a girls person. You know, in that time period. Um. You cited. You know. Maybe, maybe. I think a lot of people were both. Mm. I just couldn't take the seriousness of girls. It was a very feminine show. It did not appeal to me. Girls was like, I'm sensitive but ugly, but all my friends are hot. Right. But they're dumb, and I'm judging them. And I'm not that judgmental of myself. Yeah. And I'm going to slap my titties in a mesh top. Hmm. Do you remember this? No. <laughs> she says something about being real and she's brawless in a mesh top. And I was like, that is the most disgusting. I, I'm gay. I'm gay now. <laughs> that's my, the that's moment you decided. I was like, yep. Nope, in not 2012, you were like, I'm done. I can't this keep. closet, can't, it's not for me can't anymore. keep the charade up anymore. <laughs> if this is what heterosexuality involves is being like, that's hot. I mean, I feel like watching the first episode of the second season because the criticism was like, there's no black people. So she just like fucks Donald Glover and then he's never in the show again. Oh, nice. That's a good strategy. Tokenism. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. You can't get away with that anymore. Well, by the way. Oh, my God. Did you happen to see this article in the Atlantic of all places about the whoops? Hello. Everything now just like plays on Instagram. Even when you open it, like they're like, bing. I'm like, fuck off. We've we've beat this topic to death on this podcast, but I, there was an interesting article. It's, I forget where, maybe New York Times or something today oh, about the death of about yeah. artists and Instagram and how yeah. it's like plummeting because they're, you know, promoting videos and TikTok style things over still images and, you know, basically influencer style artists, not real artists. Yeah, that made careers are like really struggling now, and that actually Twitter is better somehow. Interesting. Twitter doesn't censor any images. So you yeah. can go full hog and then a picture of a painting. Well, they, the thing is not even really about censorship. It's more just that they don't promote video. Right, right. Whereas right. Instagram, you know, it actually explained a lot to me because we've been complaining about this for about as long yeah. over the last year or two. That a year or two ago, they declared very publicly that they're no longer yes. an image platform, which I didn't, didn't really know. But that does explain... That was like a month ago. That does explain a lot about yeah. lack of engagement and stuff. It's like, oh, yeah. And then why things are just shouting at you at all times whenever you open your phone. Like, you'll be watching stories, and then all of a sudden the ad-suggested ones are just like, blurg! Mm-hmm. And you're like, I was trying to be quiet, and you're like, go through the Instagram right now? They're like, really blowing up my spot. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Atlantic article. Oh, my God. This Atlantic article, I, I'm I'm begging you to read it because it's a thrill ride the whole way through. Oh, boy. It is about the uh, firing of Nancy Specter, the Guggenheim lady, back when during oh, COVID. Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember when that whole, yeah. you know, all the museums were like, oh, George Floyd, we got to fire all of our white people. I don't think, uh, The Guggenheim, the whole controversy was there. they invited like a black curator who was basically unknown but was a Basquiat scholar. To do a show surrounding a previously underrepresented Basquiat painting that was in Keith Haring's private collection. Okay. That was about police violence. Uh-huh. This is all before George Floyd. Okay. So this lady comes along and starts making, like, from my perspective and from the perspective of the, the journalist that wrote the article, like, really insane demands on the Guggenheim. Like, she wrote this essay for a catalog, and they were like, uh, your writing is incoherent and not very scholarly. We're going to need to take a second pass at this. She refuses okay. very vocally. They're like, yeah, it's still no good. Like, we're going to need to co-write this with you, and you can be like a co-author. And, of course, she freaks out and accuses them of racism. But this is, by the way, this is like a 20-something-year-old like PhD student. She's not a known PhD person. PhD students aren't allowed to do things, just the so you know. Whole, so this whole saga goes on for a year, and, of course, in the middle of this, George, George Floyd gets killed yeah. and just sets the whole thing alight. But 
you got to read this article. It's just this woman being like so crassly careerist and trying to take down everyone oh. in her way. It's been done at the Guggenheim. It's very e- that's a quick, you know, house of cards to push over. But it's all under the guise of like white privilege or whatever, you know. But it's yeah. so transparently career moves oh. that at least in this presentation of it, like it's unforgivable in my eyes. She, the journalist even reaches out to said curator mm-hmm. and is like, hey, will you be interviewed for this article? And her response to it is like, where were you two years ago? Like, fuck you. If you write about me and you fuck this up and I know that you will, I'll be all over you like uh, like protesters at a KKK rally. She like what? threatens the journalist. It's fucking insane. It's so fucking crazy. <sighs> And homegirl got fired for that. And then, and then the the story is basically about this woman Nancy Spector being a scapegoat for like this whole phenomenon. It's a phenomenon of like you know activists, careerists pulling shit moves under the guise of like social justice, and it's also an entire museum not really rectifying their existing institutional problems by just throwing one person under the bus. Yeah, it's just easier. And so now yeah. she's like a sixty year old lady that like can't get a job anywhere had like lost all of her friends because libs in the art world will actually do that you know all the artists that were reached out to were like very aggressive about this woman with one or two exceptions who were also black jenny holzer apparently just sent a one a one-line email back that said like racism is criminal scapegoat is a cop out like people people look like lunatics in this piece and the fact that it was in the atlantic was kind of weird to me because they don't really cover like culture very, no. very yeah. often, especially art world drama. The Cleveland, uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Cleveland is mentioned. Oh, they yeah. had a whole scandal where they canceled yeah. somebody's show. Chill. Did you know that that show they canceled because the uh, the artist, I forget the guy's name, something Leonardo. Leonardo or something, I don't know. Um, he was making all these photographs of like where Tamir Rice got killed, who's mm-hmm. from Cleveland. And they reached out to Tamir Rice's mom and were like, hey, just so you know. This is happening. This is happening. Yeah. And she was like, no. No, thank you. I don't yeah. want this to happen. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so they canceled it out of yeah. respect for the mother. You know, I think you could make an argument that you shouldn't do that anyway. But whatever. That's a pretty yeah. virtuous reason to not want to do something like that. And then, of course, the artist flips out and accuses them of being racist. And it's like, damned if you do, damned oh, yeah, if you do Oh, yeah. Joel got fired. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, so. resigned in essentially disgrace even though she built the fucking place right and like in the guggenheim example it's like they tried to include a black curator like in a black artist exhibition they freak out they cancel a show out of sensitivity they freak out like there's just don't say they freak that sounds a little these activists it's you know it could be any dimension i just think you know in um art world is so latent latently like you know Got some, got some racisms. And really, it's just classism at the end of the day because it's like, Yapavo, no, thank you. Um, like being accused of something that you already know that you are. Like no one wants the PR and to deal with it because no one has any good PR. And I'm like, you have great lawyers. You're fucking institutions. Get it together. Threaten someone with a li- libel lawsuit. Well, there, which a, will also blow up in your face. It's but a like, catch twenty. You know. It's a catch twenty-two. They actually should do that. I mean, I I feel like from from a meta perspective, when you look at why this is showing up in the Atlantic right now, and the kind of like um, backlash that a lot of woke activism has been getting for like a year, I think that when things like this show up in the Atlantic, it's kind of a signal to institutions broadly that like, hey, you can start fighting back against this. You know, you don't have to brook all this shit anymore. So I do think that when they get like inexperienced careerist activists coming through their doors now, they're going to be a lot more cautious and aggressive about it. Because I really think they can't afford to let this continue. You know what I mean? You can't have public scandals where your basically CEO is getting removed every six months because there's a Maoist struggle session happening. (laughs) And, you know, these fake ass people want to change the guard all well the, the, the funny thing is like there's in art world is this not true like if you're easy to work with you'll go far right that's the whole thing if you're a pain in the ass even if you're a fucking genius like people will respect you but they will not want to work with you especially if you don't have a name and like have like clout like you know if you're like 
uh, Massimiliano, you can be crazy. If you're um, Chrissy Isles, who just got named the Whitney Biennial co-curator, I think. Uh huh. Like these are Beatrix. Beatrix, like anyone who's got got some heft behind their name, you can be a little erratic and a little like hard to work with because people know that you deliver. Right. If you're not delivering and you're hard to work with, you don't exist in art world anymore. I say that as yeah, someone who yeah. doesn't exist in art world, but you know. I mean, I think all of the eccentric personalities that you might run into are old at this point. I'm just right. thinking of artists. I don't know much about the back end, about curators and stuff. Yeah. But like, you know, he, he, I don't mean to invoke his name in, in any negative sense, but like Richard Tuttle is a very eccentric guy. I've worked with him before. Yeah, but he's easy to work with. He's easy-ish to work with, but he's also like kind of spacey. He's going to show up late. He's not going to give you definitive answers. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. he's hard to work with in a certain kind of way, but that wouldn't even be Brooke. But it's not antagonistic to no, deal No, no, but like know. a slight amount of autism I don't even think would be put up with these days, you know? Mm. It's certain certain things are more acceptable than other things but right. like eccentricity but by and large you have to be very professional as a young artist Ugh. or a young curator or whatever yeah but that's boring mm-hmm. well and i think that like things like this just demonstrate that it's people that don't have the juice to deliver that have incoherent scholarship that can't actually follow through on like a vague spark of an idea yeah um need to resort to basically like a lash know, out yeah basically the guillotine to get any attention and any publicity because they can't hack it on their own. But then you're not going anywhere. You know. If you are the one, you know, marching with, you know, a bayonet and, you know, wheeling it behind you, like, that's not really going to look good. Like, that's a bad look. Like, yeah, and I think, but I think, like, they're they're tied in knots because their audience does expect that they will kowtow to any kind of social justice. Who's? The art world, in general. Oh. The collectors care. Like, believe it or not, not all of them, but uh, but enough of them care about it. They care about guilt by association because yeah. that's all actual any arist- arist- aristocratic behavior is concerned about is guilt by association or dirt, you know, sticky fingers, dirty fingers. That's you know, right. we don't want to be associated with those people with, who have the troubles because we're doing some really sketchy shit. So we don't need any attention. Like, the, the whole thing is like, oh, no, 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 pay no attention, pay no attention. So if there is, a, like, a loud hullabaloo, like, this is why every time, like, someone sues Jeff Koons and Larry, it's a fucking shit show. And they're like, shut it down, shut it down, we don't need to know. Right. Like, or when Mary double-sold some... Uh, Ross Blackner's. Yep. Yeah. He's like, whatever. Well, yeah. But the- then Alec Baldwin is one of them. I'm like, that's the loudest motherfucker on earth, you <laughs> stupid, dumb bitch. <laughs> Like, yeah, you went to stupid jail. You didn't go to regular jail. You went to dumb jail, okay? Well, yeah, I mean, they don't want attention drawn to their, like, economic malfeasance. Right. That's obvious. But, you know, I think that on some level, a lot of um, rich liberals also, they want to see the world as they think it ought to be. They're also not rich liberals. A lot of them are. Like, that actually is a real thing. You know? Because being a liberal today doesn't mean what it used to mean. It doesn't mean being anti-war. It doesn't mean being like populist in terms of your economics. It doesn't mean any of that stuff anymore. Rich centrist? What it means? No. I mean, you know, all of these polls have kind of shifted. I mean, what it means is that you gesture towards social justice while like really giving it to the rest of society on every single level. Right. And as long as you do that, you can get away with all the crimes you want. Oh, yeah. You know, it. it, it but they believe it. They're not cynical about it in the way that I am. They right. actually think that, like, gesturing towards social justice in terms of, like, you know, having struggle sessions on Zoom with all of your employees, like, actually matters. Right. They actually do believe that that works. It's insane. It it's delusional. But it's a cope. You know, the world the world has to conform to their narrative. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Well, what... You know? Um, what I think, like... I'm just stepping in to do what I want to do. Whatever. Um, what I think like is the main thing that's always like a, a, a miss is like, you know what? At the end of the day, people are people. It's not about what kind of people they are. Right. Like, cause you, you know, in terms of, you know, race, color, creed, et cetera. It's just like, no, people are just, people are going to act like people. You have to treat people like people in general. Right. Like, you know, that's the great equalizer. You, like it's disingenuous to be like you know i don't see anything but it's like you know what people are crazy i don't know what to fucking tell you anyone who's not me is automatically fucking insane 
You just have to tread lightly and deal with people and just think about like what's the situational awareness in any sort of given back and forth, right? Like, so when it's like, well, there was racism. It's like, was there? I don't know. seems like you all just don't like each other that much just as people. Right. Like, you microwaved salmon and you like took the last of the coffee and didn't put on a new burner. You know, like what These you know, were like essentially it's that the nature of the disputes, except that one party was like, it's automatically racist. It's no like, what. well, you obviously microwave salmon because you don't give a fuck about anyone else, yeah. especially people of color who have to microwave things. And it's like, no, they just weren't thinking. And like, granted, that makes them a stupid asshole. Right. But like, that doesn't make them an intentional asshole. And what's underpinning what you're saying is that you have a belief in a certain kind of universality. Of That's, stupid idiot people, yes. Well, yes, it's a cynical, like like pessimistic universality, but nonetheless, the universal part is there. Like There is a persistent like thread in humanity that is shared. And you're, you're framing it in terms of assholery. I would mostly agree with that, by the way. Assholery is mostly just a series of miscommunications. And yeah, then, yeah. A, and, you know, an escalating tension that never gets resolved because someone just doesn't have the, like, you know, self-critical juice. Sure. To be like, I think I was wrong. What did you actually say? Oh, I, I meant it this way. Right. I meant I said this. Oh fuck, I read it. But the that other also way. requires like a reciprocity that's automatically not there in a situation right. where where both parties are kind of looking at each other as pure individuals. That's that each other's experience is so alienated from right. from each party's perspective that you actually can't overlap. You can't right. understand the black experience. Oh, I have white privilege. I need to atone for it. You can't possibly understand that. There's no communication possible there. Right. And then add in the institutional layers of power dynamics that exist at every job, yeah. the academic like ball swinging. You might as well have fucking truck nuts on your <laughs> Toyota Prius. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. so... Yeah, the miscommunication is going to happen, and that's mostly where this stems from. But if you truly don't think that you can actually communicate with other people on like an equal playing field just as human beings... If you can't communicate in good faith because you have no good faith to give to other people... Yeah. You're, it's going to be fucked. You know, like if it's just like, well, there's, there was a... I, I, had a, I had a homophobia done at me. It's like, are they homophobic or was that a stupid thing that you did? And it's like... Oh, I think I did a stupid thing. And it's like, well, yeah, then you got you got it because you're being a dumb bitch, not a fag. <laughs> right, right, right. Like you drank your dumb bitch juice and got your ass handed to you. Yeah, okay? Yeah. Like Billy Eichner throwing a hissy that his movie wasn't successful. Yeah, he's yeah. chugging dumb bitch juice. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of fag juice, but you know, that's, <laughs> you know, for bathhouses. Um, no, I literally just had to do this like and like 2 hours ago. I was like Okay, so it seems like we have a little miscommunication here. Also, do you think that was the right thing to do in the moment? You, person with different stature, walking up to person of different stature, that maybe wasn't the thing to do. You come to, you know, the middle ground, the mediator, this guy, and then you kind of like, I can kind of suss it out and see what's going on. And then it's, you know, escalation, and now everybody feels bad and is being weird. So I just was like, it seems like no one was the hero. You both, both of you fucked up. Okay. Just so you know. Yeah. You know what? Maybe. The great equalizer is someone going outside opinion. You both, you both look bad. Okay. This is what all of these institutions need is a consultant class, which they McKinsey's have. not going to do that. They're just going to be like fire everybody, you know? Right. Right. Well, but you know, they do need a mediator. That's like, okay, SJW over here and, uh, you know, <laughs> white Jewish lady, that has never seen south of 82nd Street. That's correct. Like, you guys have very, you have vastly different perspectives, right? Like, so what's actually going on here? Yeah. And how do we resolve this to each party's mutual dissatisfaction? Yeah. That's the thing. Nobody's, Nobody's going like to win. Yeah. yeah. But that's like arbitration. Like, this yeah. is what most, you know, any private company does. Like, you're automatically in an arbitration agreement. Yeah. You don't, like, you don't automatically jump to, like, finger pointing and lawsuits and bullshit like it's one thing when you like escalate into like social media and like this is what i mean it's like you know is a libel lawsuit like necessarily out of the question in that instance i don't know because it is slander you're just like i got this was happening because nancy specter in particular was racist as fuck to me it's right. like was she 
No, I know. Or and is it, it just like, I don't know, she's working on behalf of an institution as well. Like, I don't know. And if I was her with her $299,000 per year salary, that's not a joke that was quoted in the article. Why would you not? Like, if your career was totally ruined and you really didn't feel like you were racist, why would you not take that person? Because it'll to look task? like it, it'll look like she's even more racist for going after someone because she has so much more money. But at that point, you've lost everything. Who cares? Oh, go like I don't earth. understand why these people don't do that. At some point, like people are going to start doing that. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's no a, one's got Peter Thiel fuck you money to you know burn down a gawker. Well, I, you know, you don't need that much money to burn down, like, some random academic. Yeah, but that's, then that's... you know, probably not even tenured or whatever. Yeah, but then even still, then you're the asshole. Like, it's both, you know, it's, you know, the Reddit thing of both sides asshole. Yeah, well, but it's back to what you were saying before about guilt by association. This is what I mean when I say these liberals really believe this. Mm. They don't want to look guilty in anybody's eyes, even when they're innocent. Right. Which is an cr- insane thing. Fuck that. Go scorched earth on them. Take, who cares? Everybody has already said the worst things possible about you. Being accused of being like a real racist is the worst thing you can say about somebody short of like pedophilia, right? Mm. Pretty much. Like that is that is say, a ruining I thing. would say pedophilia is maybe a couple notches higher. Sure, but what's in between? I mean, there's not much. What I'm saying is you're, you're at the top tiers of slandering somebody now. Mm-hmm. And if that's you... Are you going to take that? It's like insane that people sit there and they're like, well, maybe it's actually kind of true. No. You don't need to do that anymore. And like, and I think that, again, in reference to the article, like, I think the permission structure is kind of being drawn up of like, all right, we've had enough. And we'll see. I don't think the art world will ever actually go through with it. I think everybody's doing this like this really strange high wire act right now that is a holdover. Like the art world feels retrograde to me in a certain sense. Like I feel like culture at large has moved past whatever moment yeah. it's mired in from two years ago or six years ago or 10 years ago. Mm. But there's this real stagnation in art, like in terms of its ideas and the way it thinks about the world and its politics and everything right. where like it needs to move past it. It needs to get over it. I mean, there's I a whole new breed that could be like very interesting and successful. Like Sean Tuttle was just in the new art forum. I was like, Oh, doing that's a review interesting. of what's her face. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's actually kind of cool that they noticed his upstart, and they thing. still probably only paid him two grand. And they probably um, paid him nothing for it, but it's cool that like there's a little bit of infiltration of like actually good stuff. That's, that's a hopeful because, sign to me. Yeah, the editor is, like lives downtown and is part of that well, world. Also, they don't sell any magazines anymore, so what do they have to lose? They might as well try. Yeah, And I think true. everybody's kind of getting to that level. There's been a lot of stink lately about Hollywood and Netflix and people like this being like, you know, this stuff isn't selling anymore. People are kind of over it's it. it's bad. It's bad. It's yeah. bad. Like, I, you know... The rise of mid, yeah. mid-rise, not just for pants anymore, kids. <laughs> it's now just like culture. Like there, everything in mid, but you know, there's the joke version, but everything is middling. Nothing is really trying to like scratch at any itches. I don't know if people can, you know, have the conceptual wherewithal to do it anymore, quite frankly, because you'd rather like do the surface scratches of like doing like second year, uh, what's it called? identity id poll like it's the 90s again because that's an easy check to cash right but here's the thing those checks are going to get smaller and smaller until they're not worth anything in the same way that like zombie formalism also stopped cashing checks right like you're part of a cycle you're you're like fodder identity fodder rather is now just going to be a check that doesn't cash and now you're again we talked about this last time like your entire beingness is wrapped in your workness. Right. And now that's worth nothing. How is that going to make anybody feel? Yeah, that's right. That's insane, right? Right. And nobody's going to like die of AIDS to like, you know, have th- that worth be, you know, more special or shit. That's right. Like everybody's going to live. They're just going to have to be mired in the fact that, oh, my little like faggy paintings don't sell and I am I am my faggy paintings. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's actually, I never really thought about, this is, a tangent now but uh i think we've set our piece on that i never really thought about before that a calling is actually kind of necessary for market reasons yeah no shit 
Yeah, and that that's, people got to die young, and that that's not happening. Like in the same sense that you can complain on like a macroeconomic level that like the boomers transferred all of our generation's wealth to themselves, right? Through real estate and student loans. And, what was the young guy who himself? Um, Martin Wong. He's the most recent example I can think no, of. No, that's the old one. That I'm sorry. The, no, no, Matthew. That was actually just, a little bit racist. Matthew Wong. Yeah, yeah. You should be more familiar with Matthew. Like a Wong. Twinkie Asian. What I mean, he was, he was. Autist Asian, you should feel a little oh, more... Oh, that's true. You know. I, I feel sympathy for Canadian autists. The Canada part's really a strike against him, though. Let's be honest. Well. Anyway, yeah, him. But yeah, th- this stuff... Like, what if he got to mid-career? You know, he would have just been another one of these people. He would just would have been Sherry Hughes where no one would give a fuck. You know, she, she makes money and probably will forever. There is a certain point when there's enough institutional investment in you that people's, like, stock hedges are Have wrapped be, up in yeah. your work. And now you're successful no matter what he might have made it to that level or whatever but like qualitatively i don't think there would be really that much of a distinction between him and anybody else right the only reason that he's elevated now is the rarity yeah but you know back to this point i I never thought about that before that like the aids crisis like taking out keith herring taking out felix gonzalez torres like taking out a generation of people that never get to make bad work that like leave at their apex Basquiat. There's a lot right. there's a lot of this stuff. Like and that's not happening right now. Even Dash Snow, as recently as that, you know? Mm-hmm. You get suicides, I guess. That will be the calling is like Mike Kelly, Matthew Wong, people that oh, yeah. die Fent by their ODs, own hand, you know, people. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so it'll still exist, but there's this weird trigger warning suicide (laughs) there's this weird combination happening though where if you have to be a professional artist that can't be that eccentric because you have to be in hustle culture yeah you can't be a fent addict you can't be that weird you can't be weird enough to off yourself you have to be a normie well you also you know even if you are a weirdo like here's the thing like at a certain point that's exhausting it's so fucking tiring at the end it's also a shtick it's a gimmick it wears out right like if if it's not authentic, like there are people who are like authentically just little little nut jobs rolling around in the world, and I'm like, you know what? Live your life. And you, it seems delusional, but I'm not in your head. I don't fucking know. I'm a man in a white button down in a black cashmere. I I cannot be trusted for eccentricity. Sure, you know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think these people sometimes in an ass backwards way end up doing really well because their risk assessment is not very good. They don't weigh whether it's going to be good for them. They just pursue things, and the crazy level of risk they take that only pays off one in every 10,000 times. They're like gambling addicts. It's going to work in somebody's favor. Jamian's like this. I mean, she's she's also yeah, but she's also an Adderall addict about, yeah. and is very hardworking and is very smart at marketing herself. But like, she takes a crazy amount of risk that other people wouldn't take, which makes yeah. her interesting. You know, she has the capital to do it. Of course, like you know, yeah. this is the thing. Like when you have you know cushions left. But she and didn't right. always have that. She actually <laughs> she earned that through like an incredible amount of risk taking. Mm. You know, she's from she's from a family that could help her. I'm sure. Yeah, but stealing like, money you know, from your boyfriend. Yeah, there's a lot of like sordid parts about it but that in and it's of is itself also is a risk. kind yeah. of risk yeah. that i would never take no 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 no. you know yeah that's how people get ahead i mean it's all sort of criminal if you think about it in a pessimistic sense but oh it's insane yeah um it's also like kind of insane and amazing i mean that's how you get amazing at anything right i think there's very few like average people that slide through you know mm. to mm. the heights of success right even somebody like Dana Schutz, who seems like, by all accounts, like a very nice and kind person, um, is a little autistic. Like she's just, but she weird. But, like when she takes she takes big whiffs on you know the themes of history, but that's also not tied into her like being. You know, that's in in yeah. She takes big you know big swings, big risks in the work. That's right. She doesn't personally do that unless like you know she's like I'm buying a more a bigger studio. Holy shit, that's a lot of money. Like. She seems like that kind of person who, like, you know, looks at the spreadsheets and is like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, just, I'll just do it. It's like, girl, you've been chunked since you were fucking 22. Calm down. Right. Like, you're fine. I mean, timing is a huge part of it, too. Like, she's a really good example of just this pre uh, Great Recession timing where you just hit this wave of, like, the grad school to blue chip gallery pipeline that existed for, like, 10 years. Right. And 
as long as you're like better than average, you're going to have a you're career. You're good, yeah. There's a few enough number of artists. Like that mill hasn't really started up to the extent that it did with our generation. Oh, fuck no. no. Like the Gen Xers, it was still like sort of a rare thing to do that. Right. And the capital was hitting at that time. Speculation was getting insane. Like timing's a huge part of it too. Yeah. But taking risk and timing and having it all pay off, I yeah. mean, that's what gambling. life is. Yeah. But it's gambling, yeah. Ugh. I don't know. I wish I had that in me because I, cause I, I guess I'm like reflecting on this in the moment right now. Like I feel like people like you and I or the, the way that we think is well positioned right now to catch the ne- next upturn. Huh. Mm. And I don't think you can be too self-conscious and calculating about it because you're just going to fuck it up if you get in your own head. I think these like addictive style people that are successful, it's all very organic. Right. If you start to be analytic, you're already behind the game. Also, you're just a fucking nerd and no one, no one wants to look at that. But that being said, I feel like whatever is stewing right now, because institutionally the tenor is changing. Right. And you can tell is in our, is in my favor, is in your favor. My favor. You know, I think so too. Because, you know, like you're an odd, you're an odd duck. You're not a very like political person, so I don't think it comes up a lot. No. But like, you know, your opinions are surprising for the demographic that you're a part of. I don't think they actually are. I just think for the circles that are hyper fixated on what identity should match up with what persuasion, you would seem like an outlier. You're actually a normie. So am I. That's yeah. the, that's the weird part about all of this. But what I'm saying is that the wave is coming for people like us, smart people that have always been like just middle of the road in a certain sense. You're really doubling down on mediocre white men really getting their time back. I don't I don't know about that. I mean, I, the thing is, I don't want to put it in terms of identity politics. It's not about mediocre white men yeah. because it's like you could be gay, straight, black, white, whatever. But if you just have the opinion that like and you were I don't born know, this way, things are kind of nuanced. And I also have like a universal like human connection with other right. people that I'm willing to explore. Like maybe actually colorblindness is not a bad goal. Mm. You know, like that's normal. And if if the, if that kind of attitude is being like readopted, I'm all for it. Hmm. And and I think that like art that's gone out of its way to not be pandering towards hustle culture, not be pandering towards identity politics, not be mired in this like constant uh like culture war and more fixated on like the universal dimension of human experience is right. ripe for like its wave, its time. Huh. Maybe. I don't know. I I can't help but think that when the Atlantic is giving permission to museums to say, fuck these people, that's different than it's been for a long also, time. Again, this is the same thing with her. Who reads the Atlantic? I'm not reading the Atlantic. The people, that, the people that matter in terms of the des- decisions do read it and do take it seriously. They still respect the authority. Uh, <laughs> did you just Carmen? Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. I oh I uh, ooh, I wasn't expecting that one. I just that just got me real good, you um, know. And if you have a lot of authority respecters that are looking for new voices, mm-hmm. welcome to the Green Lewis Podcast, baby. Ugh. We've been here, we've been out here. We we run these streets? Question mark. Um, like I don't know. I just think like you know, it's very. I don't know. I I think like. I had a very. Int- I'm going to relate this to to a, an anecdote because this is this is what I can kind of maybe process this as. So, you know, wandering MoMA, right? You know, because I I had a I had a yen because I was like I want to see big American paintings and I want to see some faggy photographs. And I was like, well, there's a Wolfgang Tillmans, and you know, four exists, right? So let's go. You know, and I go with friend of the show Rika, who's like I'm vaguely interested in seeing this yeah you know not really like down for the cause or the reason i was like whatever like let's just go it's a fun you know fun rainy afternoon activity sure um just strolling going like huh that's big that's big and gay that's big and ugly oh fuck that's stupid like and it's kind of like a nice like thing you're just like none of this none of this matters like no one anyone who's really having like a moment with a wolfgang tillman's is kind of missing the point Uh, yeah i think their uh transcending quality is 
along the lines of their banality and like mundane and the all aspect. all overness like literally the buckshot of a practice yeah, yeah, right sure. like you know and i always that is what i always think is the most interesting thing like it's uh, there's no Felix gonzalez torres meets sigmar polka meets dash snow yes that sounds right yeah with editorial sprinkled in sure you know a little annie Leibowitz for shits and giggles. of course yeah 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 photographer yeah um you know fine and you know leave that feeling indifferent i would go actually go see it again because i was like you know there's some stuff to like see here um but I, I was like i'm not really trying to get in it like you know walking through that and having that kind of indifference and then the indifference of walking through contemporary and then walking into a room where you're like oh that looks like a lot of reading and looks like a lot of like oh web shit about you know displaced people and like you know, like you're going through the thing of like hey this is my identity this is my world and you're i don't know why i did michael jackson voice that's a little <laughs> fucked up um but you know what i'm saying like you're just like oof, this is getting a little like look at me especially because that not jenny holes or what's the other one i'm not sure supreme oh oh barbara, barbara kruger. kruger that yeah. fucking second f- who can tell the difference ladies they all look alike to me um i'm gonna start an account called who's who too and it's just barbara kruger next to jenny holzer all the time the whole time i mean the atrium looks psychotic i've seen pictures i haven't seen it yet. walking through it i was like i was like are we in an h&m like it's just an aesthetic that like just got codified and then she was like i don't know it's mine still and you're like but is it it's bad. And you're like, I'm being screamed at. And you know what? No one wants to be screamed at. Like about yeah, like yeah, identity. Because yeah. we were like walking through this one gallery and we're like, oh, she, like, and there's gongs in these sculptures. And she's like, oh, what the fuck good are those if no one's going to play them? I'm like, well, you know, if you put feathers on them, white people get, you know, feel bad about being Caucasian. <laughs> and we giggle and keep walking. Yeah. And there are people, I'm sure, that looked over and went, but I'm like, what? This is stupid. Keep it, keep it pumping. This ain't it. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it sucks that the that uh, those two are the lasting like legacy of the pictures generation in the popular mind because there's so much good art from that sort of amorphous. Because uh, Cindy kind of shot the not did some real bad stuff. movement. Yeah, but I'm just gonna say it: all the men are the good ones. Not all, not all, but the good ones are men. I think David Sally, Jack Goldstein, and Robert Longo are way better artists than Barbara Kruger, Cindy Sherman, and uh, Jenny Holzer. I think Cindy had better ideas, but then didn't know what to do with them. You know, if you think about it that way. All right, nice. Yeah, let's have a nuanced conversation because you're right about that. You know, like she had she had a good inkling, and then was just kind of like misled by people around her, including one of the men that she was dating. And just to be clear, it has nothing to do with gender, really. I'm just being inflammatory for no reason oh no you said bitches don't know shit but like let's be honest like yeah cindy sherman might have had like a better like germ of an idea but not knowing how to pursue it is a big strike against you in my mind here's the thing going straight to infinite repetition is not great here's the thing she had the same problem david sally does now of give the you know give the boomers computer and bad Mm -hmm. everything goes bad when they're like ooh, technology no, that's true. Yeah. Like if we would have just let them play in the sandbox of old tools, we could have had some greatness, you know? But we said, "No, you have to use the new tools." And they were like, "Ooh, it's so much easier. How fun. I can print money printer does go burr." Yeah, yeah. And they're like, "Great." <laughs> and it's like, "No, no stupid. Put it down." Yeah, that's the thing is nobody forced them, but they did realize that money printer go burr and it was faster and easier. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Longo did the same thing, essentially. I mean, just hiring more assistants. They all did the same thing. Yeah. The, I mean, the pictures generation suffers in general from commercialism. I think Troy Brontak was the only one who, like, Brontak survives. is great. He's the best one yeah. because it's smaller and stays in its stays in its lane and is like, you know, I'm going to interrogate. And by all means is, like, a really generous, thoughtful guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's the one, like, really trying to nail down his shit. Um, and nothing looks like him. And no one can really pull from him, really. You can't steal from Troy Brontok. No, well, and I think part of the problem... You can't really steal from David Sally either, as hard as I try. Who wants to? Um, You? Yeah. Um, Ew. But, like, I think part of the problem is the way that that whole period of time and a lot of those artists are contextualized. Like, to be fair to everybody involved, even the ones that I don't think are very good, Mm -hmm. I think 
it's easier to say that Barbara Kruger is the face of the pictures generation because she does incorporate all the parts that these people were using in the most succinct and dumbass format. So it's yeah. good for a poster. It's good for a museum lobby. It's good for the lead into an exhibition. It's good for right. a book, you know. Yeah. But then that comes to define that whole era, which was not so much a movement, just a group of artists that were kind of latching on to like Advertising. An, an aesthetic of aggregation. Yeah. It was more about collage and like recombining things. That's what they all do. And so the ones that do it well end up doing it in a way that's like has some mystique to it. I think that's what I'm attracted to. Mm -hmm. The reason I don't like Barbara Kruger or Jenny Holzer or like this text-based art in general, even who's the new one that shows at Sycamore Jenkins? Kay Rosen? Yeah. Like, I I don't know. Those are more about typography. They're not about... Who knows? I don't even... she's in the same vein as like Richie Albendo where they're like, words do stuff. And you're like, whatever. Whatever. Like, like, in the same sense that when we visited the uh, Musée de Magritte... And we're talking about like how yeah. his like semantic exercises in like breaking down semiotics are not so interesting, no. but his like weirdo recombinations that are a little more succinct and like tactile yeah. are better. Yeah, I think that about all of these artists involved in the picture generation because right. they were doing a similar thing. They were taking the threads of abex on one hand, pop art on another hand, contemporary advertisement techniques on another. They all and s- trying to figure out how do we make this spectacleized thing into something human. Look at that. So there's this little cube thing that's up at MoMA right now in this yeah. like fetish finishy room because mm-hmm. there's a card. Is that cough. a car or walker? No, it's oh. like who is that lady who did the thing she showed at? Oh, or I don't know if she's still alive. What's that one gallery on twenty third? Nope, twenty second, twenty first, twenty first. I don't know. On man. the corner, Garth Greenan, old lady does the like black and white with one color. Okay, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, but like you know, they all just found all the like niche like underrepresented pop people and just exploited that they were the ones going through the weird um weird freaky catalogs and going like um what's the guy green grips is the painting i don't know fuck well they were the ones finding the walter darby banners of their day sure and going we can just do that but big yeah, I think there's some of that, but I don't think it was as cynical. I think the reason that like pictures is important and why I latch onto that stuff and and like a lot of it is that they um found kind of a third way. It's gay for pay. Well, it's ironic that it rose at the same time as like neoliberalism and why they were like market successes is that what they did was avoid the the uh, nostalgic romanticism of like neo expressionists you know uh-huh. we're not pining for a time that never was and we're also not going hard edged like peter halley or like jeff Koons, this right. neo geo type stuff where you're also being nostalgic but you're trying to do this new modernity thing they were just very present in their time like it, it right. it's this coming together of all of these different like contradictory threads and then kind of like vomiting it out. A lot of the art is not very successful pictures, Jen stuff. No, because Richard Prince is also part of that, of course. You know, and you're like Paul oh, McMahon. You know, for mm. he's this little weirdo doing like postcards and pizza boxes. I mean, there's lots of weird art from that time. God, try- Ashley Bickerton is good too. Technically, is Neo Geo. Yeah, but neither of these things are coherent right. movements at all. So where they get lumped doesn't really mean anything to me. God, Troy is so good. I don't know why I'm talking about him like I know him, but like really good. Fuck. Sorry, I'm looking at the, the Pictures Gen yeah. catalog and going, huh, yeah, some of that shit is really good. You but know? I feel like you were trying to make a broader point about your visit to MoMA. So you were having indifference, you were saying. but like Indifference to like the, you know, like the let's scream it at you shit. Yeah. And like, I was like, oh, I'm so, I'm just I so think tired. that's actually just indifference. I think when you were talking about Wolfgang Tillmans and saying that you were feeling indifference, I think there's a different word for that. It's not indifference. I think his work is trying to draw out in you like, some sort of like monotone or something. It's it's a it's a it's subdued a, feeling, but it's not indifference. If you wanted to go back and see the show, you're not indifferent. Yeah, I think it's about like the flattening of a life. Like literally just yeah. in terms of like the old idea of like the indexicality idea of photography of like everything is fodder, right? 
you know, which kind of makes him like the grandpapa of Instagram life of like, well, we have to take the selfie. We have to take the like the still of the boiling peas and the whatever. Like, you know, you're driven to record a life. Yeah. And part of that is like 80s trauma. Yeah. 80s and 90s like AIDS trauma as like a gay Berliner dude, you know? Sure. But then you're like, my guy, half of these are just, uh, what was, it was Palladium, the thing in Bushwick, or P, something started with P. Not know. sure. Um, but like, you know, it's mostly just like about party shit. And then editorial, because he needed money. Like, there's so much like balance of like styles of photography that are driven by interest, the need to make money so you have editorial leak into your like private practice, um, fashion leak into the private practice and then like you know being a little pervy leak into you know all of it but it's the flattening that i think he's like a master of he's like oh no it's all together and there is yeah. no difference it all just is this is my practice is just there is no zone of photography that's not outside the realm well and in that sense it really does anticipate all the social media stuff like his work to me um is reminiscent of like tumblr photography or even before that like right. myspace style selfies and stuff yeah but what he realized by this combining of all of these you know previously disparate like areas of photography or of art practice or of persona of presenting yourself is that it would all it would all just be collapsed like everyone is performing an identity you recording your life also becomes the way in which you experience and people experience your, you your own self yeah um your self perception is what takes over everything and it's an biting criticism of that because he was really early to realize that this would have a flattening effect right. this is not empowering right um actually recording your own life and like photography kind of taking your memory from from you and transmuting it into a presentation constantly into commodity culture is yeah. actually just deadening yourself yeah numbing yeah. i wouldn't say deadening Num- i would say numbing. i would say it's numbing yeah um and it, that's the kind of thing where it's like this is why like yeah when i say indifference i'm like i don't know i'm just like mm, whatever like that's why some again some of the most beautiful things are just these photos of folded prints that just make these really graceful swoops that look like Ellsworth Kelly plant drawings. Right. And like the big giant abstract, like zoom in on like microscopic, like filled, like, I don't really give a shit. I'm like, okay, it's some cum, whatever. Like, you know, the t-shirt that's got a little, it's a little too crunchy is maybe the more like delicate photo, you know, but like the swoopy one brings back that kind of like, Oh, noticing, the, the poetry of noticing which is like the fun joy like ether woo woo photography yeah you know a lot of it is noticing like with a with a bent right like but i think like it's magisterial like my favorite tillman's is the one where it's just like a friend his friend in the tub and it's just like noticing that the angle of of the tub and the tree and the little collection of crap and the little razor next to the guy's head like does this really like it's a perfect scene that you couldn't stage and noticing enough to take the time to record that, especially that was before digital cameras, like in order to be like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold hold, hold, hold on. Got to This I have to take. Cause one could imagine like not sitting there, like snapping a bunch of them. Right. It seems, I mean, the seeming gets heightened when you're like, this doesn't seem that stage. There's, it seems like the need to record. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of artifice to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, just because the scene wasn't staged doesn't mean that he You can't put a fiddle fig in a bathroom and expect it to live? It doesn't... More to the point. It doesn't doesn't mean that he didn't take that photo, like, 36 times and then choose the best one or crop it in a certain way or whatever. And also, I do think he was shooting in digital. Uh, That's from, like, 92. uh, It doesn't mean he wasn't. Um, a A lot of it's probably film scanned to dig- to digital oh um but there were digital cameras yeah not in that hive of fidelity you're probably right about that but like it's a huge fucking print and it is absolutely gorgeous I was it's, like, it's uh... interesting in in itself to have shot it on film and then scan it and print it that large like with a regular ass right. epson later that yeah that in itself is kind of a gesture 
right. that anticipates a lot of things. Like, yeah. you know, I'm very precious about shooting film photography, but then ultimately it's just a digital thing anyway. Right. Um, crazy to be able to see that that far in advance. But anyway, like yeah. the artifice behind it is there. Like real photographers that really shoot and aren't precious about it. It's very constructed. Like Ansel Adams is the classic oh, example yeah, yeah. of this where like a lot of it's compositing in the dark room. Right. Um, a lot of it is just, you know, shooting day for night. Do you know what that means? Like there are certain filters you can use right. and certain techniques you can use where you can get lighting that looks like it's uh, at night, but it's actually just shot during the day and then developed yeah. a certain way. I think there's a lot of probably technical trickery that if I was a real photographer, I would know yeah. in Tillman's. But the fact that it's not perceptible is good. But it's, and, the, it's the flat kind of light that like predates Terry Richardson. Yeah. Where it's like, it does look like everything, but it's not Polaroid. But So it has that warmth, but it still has that like slightly blown out blurry like you know shitty lighting conditional lighting and he has a way of framing things compositionally that are just amateurish enough that it doesn't make you think this is beautiful right like when i think of 20th century street photographers that i really like like gary winogrand and lee friedlander and vivian meyer and people like this it's all very old mastery yes their compositions are like perfect his are perfect but they're off kilter there's just too much cropped out. Yeah. And it enhances the narrative in a yeah. way. You want to know what's going on beyond the borders of yes. the picture. It's yeah. not a self-contained thing, which lends itself to the practice in general of printing these things out. And it's a more accumulative process uh-huh. than it is like an individual precious gem. There is no gems. Like really. they, they all seem like prologues to other stories. Yes. And I, I love that because it lets your mind do a lot of work. Because then you're doing a lot of conditional kind of assumption about what's going on. Right. Um, and some of it is true. Some of it's a trope. And he's playing with all of that, which I think is like, you know, I always like. Um, I don't know. And, be, you know, it's all just scotch taped up on the wall. Right. And, you're, you know, like I always like that, like, because that's the proto version. Of, like, that was not a big thing back in the day to do, like, you know, you got a 16 foot wall. Let's shove it all the way in the corner let's get on a 10-foot ladder slap a little you know teeny tiny polaroid no one can see up there and like it makes you want to keep seeing because there's so much that you can't right which is like you know the ultimate tease which is like okay a fag did this of course like which hello. is also maybe the optimism in the work because we spent a lot of time talking about like the flattening effect of it and how prescient it is in that sense like the numbing quality of it but the fact that it makes you want to keep seeing and know that there's more outside of the frame, that's the actual content. Like, there's more to a life than what you can see. Right. And it's about, it's about that, like, again, around the borders, around the, around the printed page, right? Like, you want, you want the more, but you're only getting, like, a leaflet. Sure. And even from an individual perspective, like, your own perception is just so limited by whatever's going on in your own head. Yeah. Whatever your chemical composition is, whatever your life experience is, whatever your material conditions are, they always frame the way that you're going to think about everything, but you're actually only looking at this Polaroid you can barely see. Right. You know? Uh-huh. Most of the rest of your life is taking place in spite of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's no. kind of beautiful work. It yeah. makes me want to see the show. I, it's I, good. I mean, I, you know, I, I, th- I think Wolfgang Tillman's is okay, but... This conversation makes me way more interested than I would. When you see more than just a weird little show, it's Werner. Right. You know, like when you see like distinct eras of work, there is a room that has tables. And I was like, okay, we got to look at the tables. I looked at three and went, turned to Ulrika. I was like, okay, I was done with the tables after three. She's like, yep, against my better judgment. I looked at the tables and, you know, at the end of the day, what do you never do in unison? You never look at the tables. Well, tables and vitrines are too institutional, you know? Not to make too serious a point Here's out of it, thing. but it's like they're automatically going to bore you because they're they're it comes back from your childhood where you go to the Natural History Museum and you're like, the dinosaur skeleton's so cool. And then the tour guide's like, but look at all these like tiny little fragments of bones in the thing over here with a bunch of text. Fuck and you're that. Like, this is boring. It looks like dirt. Who gives a shit? No, I mean, the, you know? I, I, love a vit- I love a well-presented vitrine. Like, you know, all the print media at the Pompidou chef's kiss nothing better they put like the best shit in the thing and you're like oh this is good but you know they did a really good job of putting it in interstitial spaces in hallways where it belongs it's not actually really part of the main presentation they put put the good shit in the in the main ones Mm, a little bit yeah yeah um 
but like you know when it's on like a two by four table with plexi drilled down i'm like this is affected i should have known better yeah yeah yeah. and i was like oh what's with these like 50 to 60 year olds who are like really obsessed with the iraq war i'm like you like that affected you who cares i don't know i would be into that part it's boring he took iraq war pictures like recombinated them Hmm. yeah it's a little shitty it, yeah, I it don't seems half baked as fuck. And you're like, it Ugh. sounds like it sounds like some uh, politics that I was complaining about earlier in the episode, but from the George W. Bush era. Yeah, it's like which, yeah, fuck that. Nothing says I was thirty eight to forty one during the W. Yeah, years, yeah, yeah, and you're yeah, like yeah. Oh, whatever. He was the Trump of the day. He was having a little freak out. That's the thing. It's like, oh yeah, you people who were really freaking out about W. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I'm like, watch this draft. <laughs> I'm like, if any again, if anyone still wants to send over the uh, George Bush catalog, oh, please, you, you know where we are. Please send that to us. God damn it, I want it so bad. I want it so bad too. You know that those paintings are fantastic. Um, You'll know we've made it as a podcasting enterprise when we first have our article in New York Times. Oh God, our sweet sweet profile. And it'll, then it'll be in the cut. The final episode of Green and Lewis will be when we get George W. Bush on the podcast to oh, talk before to he died. The last interview. Yeah. The final interview. No, it's when we get... Ho- we're hosting a panel at the 92nd Street Y with George W. Bush about his paintings. Oh. Senile as fuck, and we're like, it's okay, dubs. I could die happy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's possible. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. We've All gone right. long. Is that enough? Yeah, that's enough. All right. All right, bye. Bye.